Well, tonight I want to preach to you uh, from perhaps the most famous chapter in all the Bible. And tonight I want to take the most famous verse in that most famous chapter and preach from that to you here tonight. So with that said, you probably know where to open up to, but go to the book of John. And uh, we will be looking there eventually tonight at verse number 16. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. My dad was talking to one of his friends. Uh, this would have probably been about a year ago. And uh, this friend lives in the Bible Belt and uh, in an area much, much like you live in here. And uh, he asked my dad, he said, hey, um, you go to church, don't you? And uh, my dad says, well, well, yeah, of course, and told him, you know, where he went to church and everything. He says, you know, occasionally I'm watching TV and uh, I see at a sports game or something like that, I'll see this banner hanging up that says John 316. And he says to my dad, do you know what that means? Those of us who come to church, we are so familiar with the scriptures and we think uh, that everybody else is just as familiar as we are with the scriptures. But can I just tell you that, that there's a lot of people who don't know what John chapter 3 and verse number 16 says. And, and, and that ought to uh, stir our hearts to be able to take the gospel and to be able to share with people simple truths from the Bible like John chapter 3 and verse number 16. I, was, I think I might have been talking to Pastor a little earlier in the week. I, I was talking to him. I said, I remember the very first time I met somebody who didn't know who Jesus was. And uh, it was in Shelby, North Carolina, right in the middle of the Bible Belt. And um, wherever I'm at and uh, on visitation in the country and whenever I'm out and I'm going around and, I, and I'm knocking on doors and, I, and I'm trying to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, I find a lot of people that have just never heard the truths of John chapter 3 and verse number 16. And I'm telling you, it is just a marvelous verse, isn't it? And the truths that it contains are just absolutely life-changing. And for all of us that are here, and for all of us that are Christians, we need to know how to explain this passage to other people. And so I want to preach a message tonight entitled, Look and Live. Look and Live. And let's go to the Lord, and let's ask for His help about that here tonight. Father, I want to thank You so much for uh, the Word of God. I want to thank You for the instruction that it gives to us. And Father, I just pray that you would help us tonight to understand this familiar passage, perhaps in a way that we haven't seen it before. Perhaps it's just going to be a reminder. But Lord, to get it on the forefront of our minds, Father, that we can then take this message and be able to share it with those that we run into who need to hear, Lord, about a good God who has loved the world and has done everything that is necessary to provide for their salvation. Father, I thank you for John 3.16 and what it means to me. Uh, and Lord, just the truth that is there. And uh, Father, it is something that we can rejoice about when we come to passages of Scripture uh, such as this. Father, I pray that you'd help me tonight. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to know exactly what to say. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John chapter number 3. Let's just begin reading it there in verse number 1. The Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answers and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, he says, I say unto thee, 
except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, I think this is just so fascinating. Here's this individual. He's uh, been made aware of Jesus. He is uh, hearing of the miracles that he is doing. Maybe he has witnessed some of them himself. And he comes to Jesus to be able to have a conversation with him in private. And the first thing that Jesus talks to him about is, hey, in order to go to heaven, you have to be born again. And we're going to talk about his response to, to that here in just a moment. But let me just say this. What is the, the, the truth of the scripture here? What it's trying to say is that it, you have to have two birthdays in order to go to heaven. Now, my birthday is September the 14th in 1979. And if you want to do the math, you can figure out how old I am. That would be just fine with me. But September the 14th, that's the day that I was physically born into this world. But the Bible teaches when I am born physically that I am literally born dead in trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. We're born dead spiritually. And what Jesus is going to try to help Nicodemus understand here is that he needs a second birthday. He has to be born again. He needs his first spiritual birthday. He says there in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then he says it again down there in verse number five. He says, truthfully, truthfully, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born Again, can I just tell you that I've kind of, uh, I'm becoming more and more to appreciate people who are blunt with me. You know, whenever you go out, if uh, you get together uh, with pastor and you, and you go out and you do some door knocking, maybe here in your community, or you try to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ here in the Bible Belt, and you invite somebody to church, you know what they're going to tell you? They're going to tell you, I'll be there Sunday. Do you know what that means? Get off my property. I never want to see you again. Right. And uh, what they do is they, they just lie to you, but they but they're nice to you whenever they're lying to you. Right. And uh, and it's just that's just uh, southern hospitality, I suppose. Right. And uh, but I've grown to appreciate, you know, uh, going out and witnessing maybe down in Fort Lauderdale or up in Minnesota or or some different places around the country. And you ask somebody if they want to come to church and uh, they just look at you and say, no, not. Nope, sure don't. And I've learned to grow to appreciate that. At least I know where that individual stands. And so I've grown to appreciate people just being blunt with me, and they just tell me like it is. And that's what Jesus is doing here to Nicodemus. He's like, look, I'm just going to be blunt with you. There is no way for you to get to heaven unless you have a second birth, unless you have a spiritual birthday. You must be born again. We recently had the privilege to spend some time up in Minnesota, and I don't, some of you may know evangelist Dwight Smith. Uh, he is traveling the country, and he does tent meetings now, and he'll erect a tent, kind of like you would have seen back in the good old days, and erect a tent there in the middle of town, and, and then have several churches involved, and bring people in, and, and we preach under a tent during the week, and so I had gone up to be a part of the tent meeting there uh, in Minnesota. And uh, we were there, and um, we were going to set up the tent, and the county or the city was just giving us a 
fit from a permitting perspective. You think you have to have a permit for a tent? Well, up there, you do. And uh, man, they were just, it was awful. I, I'm in, I, I practice engineering. Uh, most of you know that by this point in time. I had drawn up engineering drawings for the tent so that we could submit it and had it looking all nice and everything. And the, it came back from, from the permitting agency with more than 30 different things that we had to do to be able to have this meeting. Uh, boy, we were we were in a panic and we were scrambling and we were trying to figure out, you know, what it is that we needed to do. But one of the things that the fire marshal got really involved with us and he said this, he said, you must have three 2A colon 10B colon C fire extinguishers to have this tent meeting. Well, you know what? I understood exactly what he meant. You know what, what we had to have in order to have this tent meeting? We had to have three 2A colon 10B colon C fire extinguishers. Now, the fire marshal, when he eventually came out to meet us, he was a very friendly individual, and he told us all about what all of those numbers and letters that I just said meant to you, and I don't remember a single thing that he said. All that I knew is that we had to have this specific kind of fire extinguisher. We had to have that certain number of fire extinguishers. He told us where they had to be in relation to the exits, and that is what we had to have in order to have the tent meeting. Well, I can appreciate that. He wasn't muddy. He didn't tell me we just needed to have fire extinguishers. He was very specific. He was very detailed. And so guess what we went and got? Exactly what he said that we needed. And so we went out and got what we needed, and he came out, and uh, he was able to, uh, to give us a, a pass on the fire inspection, and praise the Lord, we were able to have the tent meeting there in Minnesota. But Jesus here, he's just being blunt. He's just being straightforward, and we need to be able to appreciate that. He's trying to let this man know what is involved for him to be able to go to heaven whenever he dies and to be able to spend an eternal uh, eternity there. And so what he does here, as he's talking to Nicodemus, uh, he refers Nicodemus back to the Old Testament so that uh, he would be able to relate to a story there that he could share with Nicodemus so that Nicodemus could be able to understand what it is that Jesus is saying about this spiritual birth. You know, poor Nicodemus, he had, he had some struggles understanding the concept. So in uh, verse number three, we've already seen these verses, but let's look at them again. Jesus says unto him, he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And in verse number four, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So this is a good question that he's asking here. But Jesus answers in verse number five, and he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Sometimes whenever you're reading the Bible, if you get to a verse that's a little bit confusing and you don't quite understand, I want to give you a tip. Uh, just keep reading. Sometimes the next verse will clarify what was just said and, and make it a little bit more clear. And that's what we have here. So look in verse number six. The Bible says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, we've all had a fleshly birthday because we're here. But what he's talking about when you need to be born again is not another physical birth, but a spiritual birth. Now, what he does is he takes Nicodemus back to this Old Testament story. Let's look at it. Verse number 14, the Bible says here in John chapter number 3. Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, you remember the story back there in Numbers? And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have 
eternal life. Now, I want us all to take our Bibles. You can put a marker here or something in John chapter number 3, and I want you to go back to Numbers chapter number 21. Numbers chapter number 21. Numbers chapter 21, just to set the stage a little bit here, the nation of Israel has come out of Egypt, and they have begun their wilderness wanderings here. And um, we'll just pick it up in verse number 4. The Bible says, As they, uh, the children of Israel, as they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Verse number six. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, Jesus is referring Nicodemus back to this story, and he says, look, just like the serpent was lifted up in the Old Testament, and the people had to look to the serpent to be able to, to be healed from uh, the problem that they had there, so must Christ be lifted up. And he talks to him about what that means in the following verses. But we want to look here in Numbers, and we want to look at what this means to us and what he's trying to get Nicodemus to be able to understand. And the first thing I want you to understand from this is that the nation of Israel had a problem. And I want you to notice it was a physical problem. It was a physical problem that we had. And uh, it was, uh, we see it up there in verse number six. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. You say, preacher, what is a fiery serpent? You want my definition? I have no idea. But it wasn't good, whatever it was. And whatever these serpents were doing, it was bad. They were biting the people. And because they were biting the people, those people were dying. Think with me, if you would, being a, out there in the, in the wilderness. And, and these serpents are coming into your camp. And, and they're biting uh, the people. They're biting people that you know. They're biting your loved ones. And, and, and we don't have, uh, at this point in time, a, a Blue Cross Blue Shield health insurance plan. We don't have a hospital down around the mountain bend that we can be able to get to. We don't have PPOs. We don't have HMOs. We don't have a Walgreens on the corner that we can go and get a snake bite kit from. We don't have any of those things. And they had, the nation of Israel, a very serious physical problem. They were being bitten by these snakes. Not only did the nation of Israel have a physical problem, but they also had a physical consequence of this problem. You see it there in verse number six again. The Bible says, And the Lord sent the fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel, what's the word? Died. They died. So they had a physical problem in the sense that snakes were literally coming into their camp and biting them. And then they had a physical consequence that was associated with this problem. And that problem was, if you got bit by a snake, friend, you were going to 
die. This was a very serious thing. There was a lot of mourning that was taking place in the camp of Israel at this time. Grandparents were dying. Parents were dying. Children were dying. Friends were dying. Why? Because they were being bitten by these snakes and these people were facing a very real physical problem in the sense that they would die physically. The next thing I want you to see about this from this Old Testament passage is that there was no physical cure available for these individuals. If you were bitten by a snake, you were just simply going to die. They would tell you, maybe uh, some people would try uh, to try to just keep it clean. You could do whatever that you wanted to try to do to to the wound that was there. Uh, You could wash it with water as much as you wanted, or you could try to apply some techniques that had been passed down uh, from your, uh, from family to family through generations and, and whatever it had to be. You could try to keep your, your leg elevated, or you could apply a tourniquet or whatever it is or whatever home remedy that you wanted to apply. Um, it just wouldn't work. You could take a knife and cut into the wound and try to let it bleed and the venom would come out. But nothing would work. If you got bit by a snake, there was a very real problem and there was no physical cure. I don't blame them for trying, but the truth is if they were bit by a snake, the Bible says that they were going to die. Now, the nation of Israel, they cried out to God because they realized that they had a problem. They realized that they were going to die because they were being bitten by these snakes and God provided a way for them to be saved from these snake bites. And it was a physical way of salvation that God provided. God told Moses to fashion a snake out of brass and to put it on a pole and to lift it up in the center of the camp. And then if the people were bitten, all they had to do was come out and to look off at that snake that had been lifted up on that pole and they would be healed. I don't know about you, but that's that's just amazing, isn't it? And and if you were in the nation of Israel at that point in time, and this was really happening to you, and God had provided a way of salvation, you would have been very excited to be able to hear about the way of salvation that God had provided for you. So God provided a way for these people to have a way of physical salvation. The last thing I want you to understand about this Old Testament story that Jesus is referring Nicodemus back to is that every individual upon hearing that God had provided a way of salvation, every individual who heard that message had a personal choice that they had to make. Every individual had a personal choice that they had to make. Will I trust the way of physical salvation that God has provided, or am I going to keep trusting in my own efforts to heal this wound? You know, I I don't doubt that there were some people there in the nation of Israel and uh, they just said something like this. Maybe somebody came and told them, they said, hey, look, God told Moses that he he had to build a snake and and put it up on top of a pole. And all we have to do if we're bitten by a snake is to to get out there and to look at that pole. And you've been bitten by a snake. So so go out there and and, and take a look and, and look at the pole. And I imagine that there were some people that said, you know what? That's all right. I'm good. I'm I'm okay. I've, I've, I've got it. I'm just going to keep, keep keeping it clean. I'm just going to keep pouring water on it. I'm just going to keep washing it. I'm just going to keep doing everything that I, I know to do. I'm going to keep tightening up the tourniquet. I'm going to keep keeping my leg elevated. I'm going to keep doing it my way. Friends, you know what would happen to those individuals? Those individuals who said, you know what? I understand what God's way of physical salvation is. 
but I'm not going to accept God's way of physical salvation. I'm going to keep doing it my way. What would happen to those individuals? They would die. Not because God did not provide a physical way of salvation for them, but because they chose to continue to go about it their own way. You know, some people chose to accept God's way of salvation. Could you could you imagine all right, what, what it would have been like? Uh, you get bit by a snake. Uh, perhaps you've known several people that have died because of these snake bites. Uh, you get bitten by the snake. You know that God had lifted up or God provided a way of salvation. All you had to do was look and you go outside of your tent and you see the snake and you look at the snake and then you look down and you're healed. <laughs> that would have... I can't even really imagine in my mind what that must have really been like. But that's exactly what was happening. God was performing a miraculous thing by healing these people supernaturally and giving them their physical life and restoring that to them if they would just look at this snake that had been lifted up in the center of uh, the camp there. Now go back to John chapter 3 and verse number 16. John chapter number 3 and verse, well, we'll go back to verse number 14. Verse number 14. We'll make some application of this to the New Testament to see what it is that Jesus is trying to get Moses to understand by taking him back uh, to this familiar passage that he would have known from the book of Numbers. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse number 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whosoever, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there's a, a comparison that Jesus is making here to Nicodemus. And he's saying, look, just like the snake was lifted up in the center of the camp, so must the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up. What is it that Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to understand here? All right, just like the nation of Israel had a physical problem in the Old Testament, their physical problem was that they were being bitten by these snakes. Every one of us, every person has a spiritual problem whenever they are born into this world. We've already alluded to it in the sense that when we are born, we are born physically dead. But we have a spiritual problem, and that spiritual problem is that you and I are sinners. And you and I should know that if we're just honest with ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 23, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, for there is none righteous No, not one. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 19, it says this, and listen closely, says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You ever wonder why God gave us the law? God did not give us the law so that we could somehow or another keep the law to be able to earn or merit our own way into heaven. God gave us the law so that we would be able to see evidently and as a matter of fact that we are sinners, that we're sinners. You know, the Bible says this, thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not lie. 
You know, people lie a lot, don't they? People lie about their age. People lie about their weight. People lie about how much money they make. You know, in fact, people weave complex webs of lies to keep the lies that they've already said uh, hidden from coming out and being exposed. People make people lie to make themselves look better than they are. Have you ever uh, tried to interview somebody for a job? There's nothing that that person can't do wrong. They just lie. They just lie. And they, they just lie right to your face. You know, the, the American culture, I feel like, is in many ways built on a culture of lies. You know, you can have this Mondomega huge house. You can have a super nice car and you can have a boat on the local lake, whatever it may be. And uh, everybody thinks that you're just doing so well. But the truth is you're drowning in debt. It's all a lie and you're about to lose it all. The American culture in many ways is built on lies. Can I ask you a question? Is there anybody in the room here tonight that would say, I have never, ever, not once in my life, I have never told a lie. Would you just raise your hand? Nobody's hands raised, right? And if you'd raise your hand, you'd be telling a lie. By the way, my hand isn't raised either. I've told a lie. And what what the Bible is doing here is it's showing us that we have fallen short of what God expects of us. Now, we think to ourselves, well, yeah, but, you know, everybody's told a lie. I want to quote a verse to you from Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8. The Bible says this, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Well, you think, man, that's, that's so harsh. Can I, can, I, can I just tell us that we really don't understand the holiness and the righteousness of God? He is absolutely perfect, absolutely holy, absolutely moral, and absolutely righteous. And what God is trying to get us to understand is we aren't. We are not holy. God says, thou shalt not lie. And what do we, what do we learn from the law? We learn that we are liars. God says, thou shalt not steal. Now, I, I, I have made a, a, a point in my life to try not to steal from people. But uh, I can remember being back in school and uh, not knowing the answer to a quest, test question and uh, peeking over onto my uh, fellow classmates' tests and uh, stealing an answer from their test. You know, there was a reason that uh, kids sit down and take tests with their, with their arms up over it like this, right? They're trying to keep other people from stealing their answers. And the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. You know, people steal from their employers all the time. They steal from their employers by not, not working the hours that they say that they're going to be putting in. Uh, they take longer breaks than they're supposed to, to, to take. They, they, they leave 10 minutes early for lunch and come back 15 minutes late for lunch and just pretend like they worked the whole time and actually took the hour lunch. You know, how many things do you have to steal in order to be a thief? Just one. Just one thing. Let me ask you a question. Has there, is there anybody in here that would say you have never, not once in your life, you have never taken anything that didn't belong to you? By show of raise of hand. Nobody's got their hands raised. Do you, do you see what God is doing with the law? He is exposing to us. He's not telling us, look, be, uh, uh, don't be a thief or you won't be able to go to heaven. He's saying you are a thief. You are a liar. And he's telling us that for a good reason. And we're going to be able to get to that at some point here tonight. But he's trying to help us. He needs us to know that we're sinners and that we've fallen short of God's expectations for us. 
The Bible says this, thou shalt not commit adultery. And maybe you would say to me, well, Brother Duke, I have never committed the physical act of adultery. But you know what the Bible says in the New Testament, don't you? The Bible says if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, then you have committed adultery with her already in your heart. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands on this one, but can I, can, can I just tell you what the result is of us being able to read this command? We know that we're guilty. We know that we're guilty. So we've, we looked at three commandments. Thou shalt not lie. We're liars. Thou shalt not steal. We're thieves. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We're at best adulterers at heart. Here's another one. The Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. How many of you in here would be able to say, You know what? I have done that my entire life. I have always loved God with all my heart. Nobody can raise their hand. Nobody can do that. What do we call it when we exalt something in our life above God? Could we call that an idol? So then could I say then that we are all guilty in some form of fashion of being an idolater? Do you, do you see what God does with the commands here that he has given to us? He is trying to get us to understand that we are guilty in God's eyes. We are all lawbreakers. And I, I don't know about you. I take some comfort in the word that the Bible says all have sinned. He's not singling out me or he's not singling out you. He's lumping us all into the same category. All of us have fallen short and all of us have a very big spiritual problem. See, God sees you as a lawbreaker. God sees you as a liar. God sees you as a thief. God sees you as an adulterer at heart. And God sees you as an idolater. And the law helps us to see ourselves in the same light that God sees us. So we need to understand here in the New Testament that we all have this spiritual problem. We are sinners. And that's what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to understand here. Now, back in the Old Testament story, uh, they all had a physical problem in the sense that they were being bit by the snakes. And what was the consequence of being bitten by a snake? They were going to die. What is the spiritual consequence of our sin? We're all going to die. We're all going to die. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, the wages of sin is death. Now hold your finger here in John chapter number 3, and I want you to go all the way to the last book of your Bible and go to the book of Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20, and I want us to begin pick it up there in verse number 11. And this is the great white throne judgment. This is a time that is not taking place yet. This is a future event that is going to take place. And it is basically the resurrection of people to be able to uh, be judged. And nobody that appears at this judgment uh, made the choice in their life to accept Jesus Christ as their savior. But let's read about it in verse number 11. So this is Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11, a future event that hasn't happened yet. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, both small and great, stand before God. Can I tell you this? The 
physical death is not the end of our existence. The Bible says here that he saw the dead stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And pay attention to the next words. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, it includes not just physical death, but it also includes a spiritual death. And it's right there in Revelation chapter number 20 that we read about it. And the truth is, because of our sin, you and I deserve to spend an eternity in the lake of fire because of our sin, because we have not lived up to the things that God has asked for us to do. Eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. So there is a spiritual consequence to our spiritual problem that we are sinners. All right, you remember back to the Old Testament story. Uh, the people were bitten by the snake. That was a physical problem. Then they had the physical consequence that was death. And then the next thing we learned, what there was no physical cure for the snake bites that they were receiving. And so it is for us in the New Testament today. You and I are sinners. There's eternal hell literally to pay for it. And the Bible says there's really nothing that you can do to get yourself out of this problem. And that's, that's just the awful truth of it. There's no amount of works that you can do. There's no amount of morality that you can live to try to cover up uh, the sin that you have already committed in your life. You know, those Old Testament Israelites, they might have been trying to wash that wound with water and they might have been trying to clean it up. And well, you know what? We can try to clean up our act as much as we want and we can try to, to rub off those rough edges and we can try to do some self-reformation and we can try to fix ourselves and we can try to be better and we can try to lift ourselves up by our bootstraps and just do better than we did yesterday. But the Bible never teaches that that will get rid of the problem of our sin. Some people try to get baptized so that they won't have that problem of sin anymore. They try to wash it with water, but that's not what the Bible says. You can't do that in order to get to heaven. There's nothing that we and I, you and I can try to do. We can try to go to church. We can try to be spiritual. We can read the Bible. We can pay tithes and, and, and all kinds of different things. But the truth is the Bible says that none of those things will solve our spiritual problem of sin. Now, if we just stop right there and think about those three things, humanity's really in a pickle, aren't we? But there's, a, there's a serious spiritual problem that we have. We're all sinners. Uh, there's a very real consequence that we all face, and that is eternity separated from God in a real place called the lake of fire. And there's nothing that you and I can do in and of ourselves and our own efforts to be able to satisfy a righteous and holy God because we're sinners. But I'm so thankful that that Old Testament story didn't stop without there being a cure because God provided a way of salvation for them. And he made that, or he told Moses to, to make that serpent and lift it up on the pole. And he, he told them to do that. And if somebody, if they would just look at the serpent, then they would be physically healed. And so it is in the New Testament. We find that God has provided a way of spiritual salvation for us. He has provided a way for us to be spiritually born again. 
In John chapter 3, in verse number 14, the Bible says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Can I ask you a question here tonight? You know the answer. When was the Son of Man lifted up? He was lifted up on the cross, wasn't he? And it was there on that cross that God the Father did the unthinkable. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24 that God the Father reached down from heaven and he literally took all of your sins off of you and he took all of my sins off of me and he placed them onto Jesus Christ when he was dying on the cross. And then God punished Jesus for the things that you and I have done wrong. He punished him instead of punishing you. He took the payment for your sin. He died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day, signifying that he really was God the Son. God provided a way of salvation there for those Israelites in the Old Testament. He said, just build a snake and put it up on top of that pole, and then what do people have to do in order to be saved? They had to just look, right? So God provided the plan. In the New Testament, God provided the plan. He provided Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was lifted up from this earth. He shed his blood. He died on the cross in our place for our sins. And what does the Bible say? It says we need to believe. You know what believing is? It's looking to Jesus. It's just looking. It's just looking to Jesus and saying, I believe what you did for me. That's all it is. And the last point, of course, from the Old Testament story is that there was a personal choice that people had to make after they heard that God had provided a way of salvation. So they heard in the Old Testament that God had provided that snake that was lifted upon the pole, and then they had to make a personal choice that says, you know what, I agree with those truths, and I'm going to trust, and I'm going to look at the snake. And if they looked at the snake, they were healed. And in the New Testament, every single one of us has a choice to make. We have the opportunity to be able to realize that God has provided a way of salvation for us. He sent Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. And the Bible says, look, if you'll just look off to Jesus, if you'll just believe that he did that for you, I'll forgive you. And I will give to you as a gift an eternal home with me in heaven. You know, there are some people, they, they hear these truths and uh, they think to themselves, ah, you know, I see what it is that, that the Bible is saying. And, and I understand that, that God provided a way of salvation. But um, you know what? No, thanks. I think I'm good. You ever been witnessing to somebody and, and have them sell that to you? No, thanks. I think I'm good. You know, they're making the choice then to choose not to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're making that choice. Some people are going to say, no, nah, you know, I'm just going to keep that wound, wound of sin clean. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try to do better. And, and, and I think I can really turn my life around on my own. Some people say, no, thanks. I'm, I'm just going to keep trusting in my baptism where I washed that wound with the sin. And, and, and you know, I washed it with water and, and that's going to be enough. And as a result of rejecting what Jesus did for them, the Bible says they are currently living under the wrath of God, and one day they'll be separated from God forever in the lake of fire. But some people, some people, when they hear this message, you know what they do? 
they believe. They look to Jesus to be their savior. You know, John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. Can I tell you, I really like the word whosoever. You know why I like the word whosoever? Because I am a whosoever. I'm a whosoever, and by the way, so are you. You're a whosoever. Whosoever believeth. Anybody can do it. If they hear the truth, if they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if they believe that he was lifted up on the cross, that he shed his blood for their sins, that he died, was buried, and rose again, says, I believe that. God says, that'll do. You're a whosoever. You're born again, and you have a spiritual birthday. And now you're going to spend an eternity with me in heaven. And I, there's, not a, there's not a more wonderful thing that I can tell you. And by the way, there's not a more wonderful thing that you can share with the people in this community. They need to know that Jesus Christ has been lifted up from the earth. And all they have to do is look to Jesus. And when they look, they're saved. They're born again. That's what it means to be born again. Just simply looking to Jesus and believing who he is and what he's done for you. Can I talk to the Christians in the room for just a moment? In the Old Testament, when God lifted up the serpent there in the center of the camp, he made that. How do you think that word got around? They didn't have TV back then, did they? They didn't have radio back then, did they? They didn't have Google back then, did they? How did word get around? How did it get around the camp? It got around because people told everybody. It got around by word of mouth. Can I ask you how people know today that Jesus Christ has been lifted up? How does that message get around today? It's because Christians go out and they tell other people that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. It's because Christians go out and tell people what John 3.16 says. And that's exactly what you and I need to do. It's been a very simple message tonight. But can I tell you, there's not a single message in all of the word of God that I like to preach more than John chapter 3 and verse number 16. I was five years old. It was, what was that, 1984, something like that, 1985. And uh, I had been going to church, and I'd been hearing truths about who Jesus was. And I was trying to go to sleep one night, and I couldn't go to sleep because I was absolutely under the conviction of God that I was a sinner, and I deserved to spend an eternity in hell. And so I called for my mom. And my mom came into the room, and she opened the Bible, And she shared with me some truths. And she shared with me John chapter 3 and verse number 16. That all I had to do was believe in Jesus and that I would be saved. I'd be born again. You know, I didn't know everything that there was to know about the Bible when I was five years old. I just didn't know it. But you know what happened to me when I was five years old and I asked Jesus to save me? He saved me. And I was born again. And do you know what would happen to you tonight if you've never done that before and you asked Jesus to save you? He'd save you. He'd save you. 
And then, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing. God's given to us here his word of God. And when we get saved, we get to spend the rest of our lives learning what happened to us whenever we got saved. <laughs> we get a lifetime to learn. I, I remember I, I was saved for, for I don't know, I, I, was in, I was in high school at some point in time before I ever realized that when I got saved, not only did Jesus forgive me of my sin, but that he actually gave me his righteousness. And when I stood before God, I was there literally as righteous as Jesus Christ. You know, I didn't know that when I was five. But that's okay. Because you don't have to know everything that there is to know in order to get saved. You know what you have to know? Jesus Christ was lifted up. He died for you. And if you want to trust in him, he saves you. It's just so simple. It's just so wonderful. And I'm so glad that God made it simple because if he made it complicated, we'd all mess it up, wouldn't we? And we wouldn't be able to do it right. But God did all the work that was necessary and all he asks us to do is believe. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Stand to your feet right where you're at. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, I want to thank you so much for the word of God and Lord, for the teaching of it and the fact that, Lord, we, we wouldn't know uh, any of these things if it wasn't written in the Bible for us. And so, Father, I thank you for recording this conversation that Nicodemus had uh, with Jesus Christ and, and the truths that Jesus shared with him and uh, the parallel there with the, te- the story from the Old Testament so that we could be able to study that out and, and realize what it was that Jesus was trying to get Nicodemus to understand. And, Father, thank you for making salvation so simple that a five-year-old boy like me could just simply call out to you, recognizing that he was a sinner and recognizing that you were the Savior. And, Father, that you would give him a spiritual birth. You'd give him a second birthday. And, Father, I thank you so much uh, for doing that for me. And, Lord, I don't know, maybe there's somebody here tonight, and they'd just be honest, and they say, you know what, I only have a physical birthday. I don't have a spiritual birthday. May today be the day that they would call out to you and that they would ask you uh, to be their Savior. Father, I love you, and thank you for the time that you've given us to be together here uh, this week. And in Jesus' name I pray, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Is that you? Or are you the one that I'm talking about here tonight? When you say, you know what, I, I only have a physical birthday. I, I don't have a spiritual birthday. I, I've never understood that Jesus was lifted up on the cross for me. But I see it very clearly. It's just right there from the Bible that if we will believe, he'll forgive us of our sins and he'll give us eternal life. I wonder if you're here tonight and you're saying, you know, that's me. That's me. God's working on me right now and telling me that I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. If that's you, I don't want to call you forward or embarrass you, but I would just encourage you to talk to the Lord. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is a promise from God Almighty that if you'll call out to him as the one who was lifted up on that tree, he will save you. Say, Brother Duke, I'm not exactly sure what to say. You can say something like this. Just cry out to God and just in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud or anything. Just say, dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell because of my sin. But right now, I'm trusting Jesus to be my Savior. And in Jesus' name, amen.
Pastor mentioned at the beginning with with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Pastor mentioned that uh, we don't do what we do uh, living in a trailer and traveling the country uh, to get rich, and he's right. We do what we do to share the message that I just shared so that people can be born again. And it would be glorious thing to know if there was somebody here who trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior tonight. If you did, nobody looking around except Pastor and I, would you just slip your hand up nice and high? Slip your hand up nice and high. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Anybody else? I trusted Jesus to be my Savior tonight. Christian, without anybody looking around, the message is always spread by word of mouth. I hope you've been convicted about that this week. But I want to be straightforward and blunt with you. I hope that that message does not end with conviction. I hope that it materializes into a change of practice. Do something with what you've heard this week. Revival, if you think about it, necessitates change. Necessitates change. If you come and you don't change, then you didn't have revival this week. But if you come and you hear God's word and you change, then you can have revival this week. I don't know what it is that God has been working with you on this week, but I hope that you'll deal with him in this short time of invitation as I turn the service over to the pastor to conclude the service as he sees how he's fit.